to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. This week's lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. This is the word of the Lord. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. We have to address the way this verse has been abused in the past 70 or so years. It's been abused to cause abuse. It's been weaponized to hurt the very people it's meant to protect. Much of God's word has, but the hate and evil that the church has justified and perpetuated with this verse is especially egregious and particularly deceitful. That spiritual abuse, abuse born of the deliberate manipulation and misinterpretation of scripture, has harmed innumerable people in irreparable ways. That spiritual abuse has diminished the personhood of both abused and abuser and driven them away from their creator and all-loving God who was portrayed as a monster for political and social gain. Too often, American evangelicals have pointed to verses like this in support of their culture wars to denounce any acceptance of marginalized people as novel, new, and addition to the gospel. They teach that the commandment of God is that set of pharisaical restrictions that Jesus directly challenges, and they oppose any social or political change as a triumph of supposed human tradition over the commandment of God. To accept this teaching, though, one first has to dismiss the spirit of the law given to the Israelites. The law brings life, literally, by offering practical advice on food safety, health, and sanitation. And the law brings life to communities and individuals by offering protection to the most vulnerable among us. The law commands the care of the orphan, the widow, the sick, the immigrant, the poor, and the oppressed. God's law is love. God's law is love, and where the law is applied to hurt, 
to abuse rather than uplift and protect, Jesus meets those pharisaical challenges by reminding them who God is and what God demands. God is love, and love trumps any human understanding of God's law. Love wins. Love wins because God prevails. The commandment of God is love, period. Human tradition is anything that stands in the way of that love, anything we've designed contrary to that commandment to love. So Jesus answers the scribes and the Pharisees' proclamations on Sabbath restrictions and food prohibitions by reminding them that the law was made for humankind, not humankind for the law. Keeping the Sabbath as a day of rest doesn't mean that hungry people should starve rather than do the work of feeding themselves. Condemning divorce was meant to protect women from being thrown away, treated as disposable when they outlived their purpose. It never meant permanently shackling the abused to her abuser. Those uses of the law are novel. They're restrictive, and they represent human tradition, not God's commandment. God's commandment is love. God is love, and love trumps any human understanding of God's law. Love wins. Love wins because God prevails. And so we see throughout the Gospels an ever-expansive proclamation of God's love, a love that embraces widows and orphans, day laborers and sex workers, Jews and Greeks, Samaritans and Syrophoenicians, lepers and the blind, a centurion and an Ethiopian eunuch, a gospel of love that embraces all of humankind and that particularly seeks out and uplifts those abandoned, abused, and marginalized. Those who have been victimized by human tradition are shown to be God's most favored. They are protected, sheltered by God's love. But in the mid-20th century, American evangelicals recreated the gospel in their own image. New English translations of the Bible began appearing that supported the values of mid-century white suburban America. In 1946, the Revised Standard Version was published with the first known use in any English translation of the word homosexual in 1 Corinthians. That's not what the Greek says, and it's not what Paul was addressing. Paul never mentions anything like what we know as same-sex relationships, but scripture was purposefully twisted to align Paul with a particular cultural agenda to ensure that Paul hated the same people American evangelicals did. And in those mid-century evangelical translations, the language of women submitting to their husbands was strengthened and expanded. Paul's letters are actually extraordinarily egalitarian, describing relationships of mutual support, not submission. And they really got women good with 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, that's a bit about women being silent in church, and it instructs them to ask their husbands at home if they want to know anything. In verse 36, though, Paul says, What? Did y'all get your own special word of God that no one else heard? It's obvious that Paul is describing something the church at Corinth has told him they were practicing, and he then mocks it. He says, 
Women should be silent and should ask their husbands at home to tell them what the gospel is? Where did you get that? I didn't teach you that. How'd you come up with that one? Some special revelation? The King James Version translates this faithfully, but suddenly in the 20th century, we have things like the NIV and the ESV leaving out the interrogative part of that verse 36. Paul is no longer saying, what the heck, y'all, but seems to be approving the exclusion of women as the word of God. Scripture was again purposefully twisted to align Paul with a particular cultural agenda to ensure that Paul aligned with Phyllis Schlafly and not Gloria Steinem. And the Bible was transformed from a book of liberation and love to one that restricted, abused, and condemned. And that's what was preached. Not the commandment of God, but human tradition. Scripture reinvented in the image of white, middle-class America. Jesus even became a capitalist. All of the teachings about wealth were spiritualized, no longer about actual money, and parables were interpreted to align God with the wealthy, the landowners, the masters, and not with the day laborers and the enslaved, the poor and the suffering. We couldn't have Jesus possibly mistaken for a communist, could we? Not even if the Bible describes the disciples as having no personal property, but holding everything in common. Look, I'm not saying Jesus was a Marxist, but he is no capitalist. You know who basically started the idea of capitalist CEO American Jesus? Andrew Carnegie. Can you spot a possible motive there? Suddenly, Jesus wants us all to make as much money as possible so we can be great philanthropists. That's an American ideal, not a biblical one. The Lord supposedly blesses the captains of industry so they can bless others, never mind the workers in the sweatshops or the children in the coal mines. Scripture, again, purposefully twisted to align with a particular cultural agenda to ensure that Jesus looks like a friend to Sam Walton and not the hourly employee at your local Walmart. These things are novel. These are the invention of human tradition, not the commandments of God. We know that because they are hate-filled, made in humanity's image, and not all-loving and all-encompassing, made in God's image. It's the American evangelicals who keep naming a different boogeyman for everyone to hate, whether that be women or communists or gays or immigrants or refugees or trans folks. That's novel. That's unbiblical. Promoting that hate is to abandon the commandments of God and hold to human tradition. God's commandment is love, period. That hate is only born of humanity's long, destructive, and depraved tradition. It's because we take scripture so seriously that we teach inclusion, liberation, and love. That's the commandment of God. Those commandments are opposed to human tradition, just not in the way American evangelicals would have you believe. God's commandment is love. Love is God. Hatred is the human tradition. We join in God's love against the hatred of this world, and love will always win because God always prevails. 
Look, part of my calling is to help you lead better lives so that you can die well, so you aren't plagued by regrets and worries or anxiety about the end of your days. And y'all, I believe there is a hell. I do. I don't believe in an eternal conscious damnation. I believe, as scripture says, that God intends to reconcile and redeem all things. I believe God will do that, but I think there is something hellish that awaits the wicked, even if it's only the pain of realizing how wrong they were. And this might surprise you, but I don't want any of you to go to hell. Really, I don't want any of you to go to hell, not even the ones of you who aren't particularly likable. I don't want any of you to go to hell. So while I don't think that gay people will go to hell because of who they love, I think that homophobes and bullies will find themselves in hell because of who they hate. And while I don't think sex workers will go to hell because of how they support themselves, I think that the people who exploit and abuse them will find themselves in hell. And while I don't think anyone is going to hell because they can't afford to get into heaven, I think the billionaires who can buy a ticket to space on the backs of their mistreated laborers, I think those guys will find themselves in hell. I tell Jeff Bezos that right to his face. That man is going straight to hell. And I tell him that because I don't really even want him to go to hell because I'm obligated by the gospel by God's commandment of love to seek the good for him and his soul. And so I'm begging you too, if you are clinging to the human tradition of hatred and not the gospel of love, if you have abandoned God's commandment to love in order to embrace a twisted scripture that comforts you by telling you it's okay to hate all the people you hate, come out of Babylon. For the good of the people you are oppressing and for the sake of your own soul, come out of Babylon, repent, lay down your human tradition and pick up the gospel of love and do that now in this life so you won't be confronted with your sin in the next. Look, we don't often invoke the threat of hell in progressive and mainline circles. But maybe it's time that we got to do the Bible thumping. It's because we take scripture seriously that we preach and teach inclusion and equality. It's because we take scripture seriously that we dismantle systemic poverty and institutionalize racism. It's because we take scripture seriously that we advocate for God's creation by fighting climate change. It's because we take scripture seriously that we welcome the alien and the refugee. That's not human tradition, a gospel of our own making. That's the commandment of God. That's the consistent and often repeated teaching of Jesus. And it's because we take scripture seriously that we live into the commandment of God, the commandment of love. That always stands. That's the commandment never to be bent or broken. The commandment is love. If it's not love, it's not the gospel. God is love and love wins. Love wins because God prevails. May you find yourself on the side of love, on the side of God.